As Earth Keepers, we hold wisdom about our planet within our bodies learned through lifetimes of experience on Earth and throughout the cosmos. I'm Amy Dempster, a shamanic practitioner and your host for the Earth Keepers podcast, and I'm on a journey to reconnect with my soul family, the other Earth Keepers, grid workers, portal tenders, land stewards, and nature lovers around the world. On this podcast, you won't find gurus or dogma, just a safe space where I share personal stories from my spiritual journey. Hello, and welcome back to the Earth Keepers podcast. We're deep into season two, where we've been talking all about reclaiming sacred plant partnerships in our modern lives. So if you're just starting with this episode, be sure and go listen to the other ones after this one. You don't have to listen to the episodes in order. However, you will find as the season continues that each one does build on the last. At the beginning of the season, we focused more on what happened in the past to bring us to this place in our collective consciousness where we no longer have deep personal relationships with the plants in our environment. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking more about how we can reestablish relationships with the plants in our immediate environment and larger communities. Now, as we come closer to the end of the season, I'm excited to share a truly inspiring individual with you that I came across on YouTube when one of his videos showed up in my suggested video feed. David Trude, aka The Weedy Garden, is a prize-winning travel and commercial photographer who spent his life exploring 40 countries over the past 30 years, shooting thousands of editorial, corporate, and commercial assignments. And while that's impressive all on its own, it's his most recent personal project that's clearly had an impact his 100,000 plus subscribers on YouTube have resonated with. Because when the world went into lockdown in March of 2020, and his work traveling the world came to an abrupt halt overnight, he had an idea. He wanted to start a garden. Now, this might not sound all that ambitious. In fact, millions of people around the world found or rekindled their love of gardening over the past two years as we collectively saw how fragile our food system really is. But David really went for it. He dove into researching and experimenting with compost and fertilizer, raised beds, worm compost, fruit and nut trees, honeybees, and biochar. He even spent the summer months living in his garden and seeing if he could eat his body weight in food grown in his garden in New South Wales, Australia. And he documented it all on camera with the expertise and curiosity of someone who spent decades telling stories through photos and videos. If you're ready to be inspired by what you can accomplish in just a season or two of gardening from scratch, you're going to love this conversation. His garden is the perfect example of what happens when you really listen to what the land and the plants and the rest of the ecosystem is telling you. At the end of the conversation, we talk more about how you can start your own garden, even if you rent and even if you don't have very much space. Of course, if you haven't seen it already, you have to check out his YouTube videos. There's a link in the show notes to find him. Now, before we jump into this discussion, let me just share that if you're feeling called into an even deeper relationship with our allies here on planet Earth, 
I would love to have you join me in the Earth Tenders Academy. Reclaiming our ancestral connection with this planet and the spirits of the land and learning to speak their language can bring such a richness to our day-to-day experience here on Earth. If you want to learn more about the history and the energy of the community that you live in, hold space for the healing of humanity and nature, remember more about your specific gifts and role with the earth, and see the true magic held in your everyday environment, I invite you to step into this portal with me and hundreds of other earth tenders from around the world. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about the Earth Tenders Academy and join us in this beautiful community. Now, one quick note on this episode is that it was recorded prior to the devastating floods in David's community of Lismore. On Monday, February 28th, the Lismore community was swallowed by the worst flood in recorded history. One year of rainfall came down in a single day, filling the Wilsons River with 15 meters of flood water. That's nearly 50 feet or 590 inches of water. The flooding left thousands of people trapped in their homes and needing rescue from their rooftops. More than 2,000 homes in his valley have been declared unlivable, and two-thirds of the flood-affected homes will have to be demolished and rebuilt. While David's home and garden were safe, and his recently built permaculture swales worked perfectly to move the water on his land, he and his partner were stranded at home without power or internet while the roads were flooded and washed out. They did manage to get to town and see the extent of the damage and how many of their friends and family were affected. David set up the Lismore Flood Recovery Fund to get donations directly to the people in the community that needed the most. I'll add a link in the show notes to the video that he made showing what the community looks like after the flood. And if you feel so inclined to donate, I'm sure he and others in Lismore would be grateful. He's also donating all of the YouTube ad revenue from that video to the fund, so just watching and sharing the video will help his community begin the recovery process. And with that, here is my conversation with David Trude of The Weedy Garden. Welcome, David, to the Earth Keepers podcast. I'm so excited to have you join us today and talk all about plants and gardening and all of the things. And I should start by saying that Not only are you on the other side of the world from me in Australia, but you're sitting outside right now. There are some beautiful birds chirping away in the background. Do you know what kind of birds they are? Absolutely. Of course I do. Um, (laughs) We've got the rainbow lorikeets at the moment. They're the ones that are really noisy. So if it starts to be really noisy, here's the rainbow lorikeets. Obviously, you can't see them on the podcast, but they're beautiful. They've got all the colors of the rainbow. And then there's galahs, which are a little bit bigger. Because we've got a bird feeding thing just behind me, you see. So uh, yes, yes. So the birds are coming and going in the background here, and lots for of those birds, of us, lots of birds. Yeah, yeah, for those of us where it's a little darker and winterier, uh, the bird song is a beautiful. <laughs> and I'm sitting with a singlet on. <laughs> we were just yeah. saying I'm under a blanket of snow here while David is in peak summer there in Australia. So happy to have you here. I found your YouTube channel, I'm sure, through the magic of the spirits of nature and, of course, the YouTube algorithm (laughs) who brought me (laughs) to your just wonderful channel. And we're talking a lot this season on the podcast about just plants and how we became so disconnected from plants and really how we can come back and find Mm. that natural rhythm 
with nature, with the earth that our ancestors yeah. had for so many years. And so I'd love yeah. to start by asking you, what are some of your earliest memories of plants? Oh, it's actually, to be honest, plants have not really had that much of an interest in my life in such. I grew up in the bush in Australia, and the bush means the country or the forest. And I remember when I was a kid, I used to grow cauliflowers and I'd sell them on the back of my bicycle. But that was all I did. I just put the seeds in the ground and they grew when I watered them. I didn't know anything about anything except put the seed in the soil and you get a cauliflower at the end of it. Just like magic. I sold it just like magic. <laughs> and there wasn't much to it. Mum had a vegetable garden. My dad grew up basically as a child only eating food from his vegetable garden because they lived out in the outback. It was like a horse and sulky ride to the shops once a week to get salt and flour and stuff. But otherwise he grew up on his vegetable garden. And mum always had vegetable gardens at home, but I was never interested in that. Mum always talked about the compost and everything. Like not always talked about it, but I kind of remember what a compost was from my childhood. But other than that, I'm a photographer. And photography like bit me, you know, when I was 16 years old, I was like, well, this is great. I don't have to work for a living. I can just take photos of everything. Yeah? <laughs> And that's really what I thought. And I thought, this is so strange that not every single person wants to be a photographer. It's just because they don't know how great it is, you know. So I felt very, very lucky, very privileged. So photography was engulfed me. And for the next 40 years or so, I was traveling around the world working as a photographer. But being born in the bush, being born in the country, I have always felt a connection with Earth. And that was just a natural thing. It's not something that I've learned or read in a book or tried to discover or try to find or go in search for it was just something that I grew up with and so I really only noticed this difference in my perception of the world when I went and moved to the city when I left school and got a job as a photographer in the big city and that's when I think I was starting to realize that people from the city didn't know what I was talking about when I was talking about this sort of feeling from being in nature you know yeah and I think just like, and you know, country people have that. You know, if you put things into a category, <laughs> you've got the country people and the city people and everyone has that sort of, what's the word? I've been living in Denmark for 35 years, so my English sometimes fails me. So sometimes I get to a word and I'm not quite sure what it is. But anyway, getting back to the nature and the plants and everything, I was always interested in trying to reestablish this connection with nature that I felt to the people in the cities that didn't know what it was. So I guess without really knowing a lot of my imagery through all my photographic career, apart from in the cities and doing the newspapers and the news and the sport and the fashion and all that stuff, when I got a contract for Getty Images, I just started traveling around the world and just shooting images that I could just sell online, you know. And without me thinking about it, I was sort of focusing on the nature part of the world. I wouldn't go to the city and photograph in the cities. I'd kind of go out to the countryside and photograph the rural people and, and so on and so on. And so I went, I don't know, probably five, six years ago, Getty Images invited me to go to Bristol to hold a talk. In Bristol, it's like the hub of natural history units that make all the BBC documentaries, like BBC Earth and all those documentaries. Sure, that's, sure. In Bristol, that's where most of the companies are. So I went there to talk about my photography and my filmmaking and my connection with nature. 
because that's what they asked me to come and talk about. And I went, oh, I've never thought about that before. <laughs> I never thought about that, actually. And I looked through my images and I went, that's really funny. Like, look at all my images. They're all about nature. I didn't really <laughs> make any point. I didn't really know. So I put together a speech and a presentation and it kind of like made me look at really what I was doing. And it's like, ah, at that point, my sort of role as a photographer and my perception of myself kind of changed. It's like, okay, I'm going to be the photographer that's going to try and make images that can connect people with nature and inspire people to get back to nature. So from that moment, I kind of just said no to everything else, more or less, and concentrated on that sort of aspect and just went searching around the world, basically, looking for these pictures. And that's what I was doing until COVID. Me moving from Denmark to Australia, that's a long story and a sort of personal story. But three years ago, I moved back to Australia after living in Denmark for 35 years. And so I was traveling around the world from Denmark. I'd often come back to Australia and, and shoot images here as well. But I'd go lots of other places too. So, yeah, so lockdown came and I was sitting up there on the hill. And I just moved to this property like a year before from Denmark. And that's when I was sitting up on the hill and thought, what am I going to do with myself? And I've always wanted to have a vegetable garden. I've always had vegetable gardens in the places that I've lived. If I've lived there for long enough, I've lived lots of different places. So I've never really had a chance. But if there was a bit of land on the place where I was living, I'd probably, one of the first things I would do would be to dig up lawn and make a vegetable garden. But every time I did that, all I did was dig up the dirt, pull out the weeds, and then make rows, and then put in seeds in the rows, and then water it. That's all I ever did. And some plants would grow and some plants wouldn't and I'd weed. And at the end of the season, oh, yeah, I've got like three tomatoes <laughs> we made ourselves, you know, one cob of corn because I'd maybe planted two corn plants because I don't know. But it was kind of just like a hobby, you know. I'd go to the shop and eat my food like everybody else. And you know? it was just something to do because I wanted to get my fingers in the ground, you know. But then when lockdown started in March 2020, I was sitting up there on the hill and I'd just been looking at my iPhone and I'd just seen these photos and images, videos of people in the supermarkets freaking out and fighting each other about toilet paper. I remember. <laughs> I think everybody that has internet will remember that. But that was kind of like the changing point for me. I mean, I've traveled around the world now. I've been in about 40 different countries and, and I've had a good look at humanity, really. And, you know, not to be negative or anything, but I kind of feel like it's getting pretty crazy out there and pretty wild and maybe just a bit too fast for me and I'm getting a bit older. So whatever's going on, I think I'm ready to kind of move out of it. And that's the choice I made about three years ago. But I was still happy to pendle and like travel around the world, but just be based in the country and not based in the city. So at that point with the toilet paper rolls, I thought, well, this is going to be simply very uncomfortable, I think, if this situation... You know, if it ever worsens where it's not toilet paper people are looking for, it's actually food. I really feel deeply that I wasn't the only person having these thoughts at this time. Actually, I know that because when I decided to make my vegetable garden, I, I went down to look for seeds and they're all sold out. Yeah. I went to look for seedlings. There was none left. Yeah. And I thought everyone's got the same idea as me. Funny thing is I went online and I ordered a bunch of seeds and I didn't really know where they were ordered from. It was just like, buy these seeds, blah, 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 press the button, pay the money. And they didn't arrive, they didn't arrive, they didn't arrive. Then I got a letter from the toll, what's it called, the customs, mm -hmm. that there were some seeds from China that they had taken away. Oh, wow. And, oh, they'd taken my seeds because they came from China. Okay, that's why it took so long. And then three weeks later, a bunch of seeds arrived anyway. They all had Chinese written on them, so I didn't know which seeds. I didn't know which was which or what was what. 
No, but <laughs> there weren't any pictures so on the packets. <laughs> there was no pictures. Of these little white envelopes with Chinese writing. So oh, wow. the only way I could identify it was to actually pull the packets apart and see Look what seats the they seats. are. But most of them are still sitting up there. But between the time I ordered them and the time they arrived, I've actually you know, sourced seeds from my friends and so on. So I started my garden. And at that point, it was like, okay, what am I doing? What I'm doing is I'm trying to get a situation set up. So if the shops do run out of food or whatever, or I can't get there, then at least I can just eat from my garden. I've always had this vision of myself. You know, as a young man, I've had this vision of myself. When I'm an old man, I've got a big, long beard. I'm as healthy as buggery and I'm really old and I'm just like living in my garden and eating all the food that I'm growing myself. That's kind of been a vision that I've had without me really realising it. But as I'm actually doing it now, I'm realising this is how I actually saw myself when I was younger. Right, right. So I'm sitting up there and I'm thinking, okay, I've got to start a garden. All I know about it is that you've got to dig up the dirt and get the weeds out and put in the seeds in a row. I thought, no, I think it's a bit more complicated than that. I mean, this is what I did when I was eight years old, you know, so I thought it's probably a bit more complicated than that. Just so happens I'm living in the place in the world. It's one of the five places in the world where you can grow anything all year round. Amazing. I can grow anything outside all year round. I mean, sure, my corn, it does better in the summertime. Sure. But I can still get little weasley corn cobs in the middle of winter. I can still get them you know, and squash and all that, it all still grows. But things like, yeah, peas, they don't like the hot summer, you know, but I'd have to have a shade room and stuff like that to keep them a bit cooler or plant some strategic spot in my garden where they're in a nice little cool area. But pretty much everything grows here. So getting back to my point, I had to kind of learn how to do this. But lucky for me, I'm living in this place where a lot of people are already doing this. So there's a lot of local knowledge. And it is a specific part of Australia where it's like really grassroots and it's like, um, it's kind of like, there's a lot of permaculture activity and a lot of people living like this in this area. So a lot of people had a lot of knowledge. And the first guy I basically spoke to about this, I said, oh, I'm going to make myself a garden. And he said, oh, you've got to learn about lactobacillus bacteria. And I went, what? Huh? And I said, what? And he said, well, it's lactobacillus bacteria. It's the bacteria in the soil. And I went, what do you mean? And he said, well, that's how plants eat, mate. He said, the plants are actually eating the bacteria fart and the bacteria poo. That's actually what happens. I mean, without the bacteria, there's no plant life. Right. Wow, is that true? So... So I thought the plants were like eating dirt, you know. I thought the plants were in <laughs> yeah. the soil and the roots went down. They were eating dirt. It's not, they're not eating the dirt. They're not interested in the dirt. They're interested in the bacteria poo, and the bacteria farts. There's so uh, much more going on. And I said, wow, really? <laughs> and then as soon as I went into that, oh, what would you call it? Like going down the rabbit hole or going down the carrot hole. Further you go down, the more you realize. So I'm now in this understanding that the soil is actually like the stomach for the plants. So I've got my stomach, I've got my mouth, I put food in my mouth, it goes down my hole into my stomach. And all the bacteria in there, they just start getting at it and eating it and all the little microbes. As they're eating it, they're secreting their poo. And that's what my stomach wall then sucks that in and distributes it around my body. It's like in my first video, I kind of explained about this composition and decomposition. Mm-hmm. And once I kind of got my head around that, that's what changed everything of my understanding about what's going on. Because I'm a human being, 
I'm sitting here and I eat my breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and that gives me energy. But it's not my body that's doing the breaking down. It's the microbes in my stomach that's doing the breaking down, right? If you're drinking or eating all sorts of stuff that's going to kill bacteria and enzymes, you're going to kind of kill your stomach. It's like your internal combust system. It's just like, so that's what the soil is. Once you understand that soil is kind of like the equivalent of your stomach, right? And the roots of the plant, that's kind of like the equivalent of your stomach wall. So the bacteria and the bacteria excrements and farts and all that, once they come out of the bacteria, then they can go inside the root and then up into the plant, right? But before that, the plant can't get the nutrient. So this composition and decomposition, everything is made up of something. The plant is composed of all sorts of different elements. It's got magnesium. It's got all the different elements on the periodic table mm-hmm. and put together in a specific way, which creates that plant. And then when the plant decomposes, all those elements that make that plant or animal up, then separate it again back into their original form. So at some point you get, and that process of decomposition is a matter of going through animals' mouth, through their stomach and out the other end. And then a smaller animal will eat that and it will go in and out the other end. And that process along that food chain ends with a little tiny bacteria. So the plant can't take it in. So the earthworm eats something and poos it out. The plant can't take it in yet, but it can because the worm's stomach is full of bacteria. But that's kind of another story. And the all poo has got bacteria in it. But that was interesting. So once I found out that the soil was like the stomach for the plants, then I'm thinking, okay, what do I like to eat and what's going to make me healthy? And then I convert that to the idea of, okay, what compost ingredients can I put in my compost to make my soil, which the plants are going to then eat, right? Right. And so if you make yourself a nice plate of food and you make yourself nice, healthy food, you get a nice, strong body and you get a healthy body. It's the same with when you're making your compost and you're putting in these beautiful ingredients and you're giving that to your plants, you're feeding your plants like, you know, a five-star menu. That's right. kind of what it's all about. <laughs> so from going from just digging the dirt up and putting in some seeds in a row and watering it to actually knowing what my plants are eating, and once you get into it, you go, oh, geez, all different plants like all different sorts of menus, you know? Sure, oh, and sure. All, and all different plants like different types of menus at the different types of the growing stage of their life, you know? But once you understand as well, or once I understood that, if you're making a good soil, it's kind of like your supermarket. So you put your supermarket down in the soil in front of the plant and then the plant will go to the different aisle it needs to go to to get the stuff it needs out of the soil. The soil's got everything that it's ever going to need. So, if it, you know, you can overdo things like you can have too much of one thing in the soil. The plant doesn't like that. It's like having a, a supermarket with like five rows of milk or something. It's like you don't have to use all that, you know. Right. So the right, the right proportions in the right shelves and all that, that's kind of, once you get to that, then you can see all the plants are just thriving, thriving, thriving. And once you understand about how the forest works, how the forest works and all the leaves that are falling down and all the insects that have, you know, pooing or even dying that are falling out, all the birds that land in that tree that are pooing, all that stuff that the tree is creating is then falling down on the ground underneath it and then getting from underground, getting eaten by the microbes and so on that then feed the roots again. And if you it's look at such a, a beautiful, tree, perfect system. <sighs> that's how a forest works. So if you yeah. go to a healthy forest, it'll have like a meter of like beautiful mulch soil on the top of it. 
So that's kind of basically what I'm doing up in the garden now. I'm still experimenting with the composts, but it's pretty much the same now. I mean, it's different. I put different ingredients in it all the time, but it's not like so specific. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, if you've got all your scraps from your garden or whatever and all your kitchen scraps and you've got a bit of cow manure or horse manure or chook manure or pig manure or human manure, it's good to have a bit of manure in there because there's like that kind of kickstart it, having the manure. But I also mix a lot of other things in my compost as well, like biochar. Biochar is really important because biochar is kind of like apartment buildings for the bacteria. Right? If you look at a bit of biochar or a bit of charcoal under a microscope, it's just full of tiny cavities. And if you take one gram of biochar and open it up and take all the little cavities and open them up, the surface area of one gram of biochar is about the same as a tennis court. It's amazing. So if you think about the size of a tennis court, and you lay a thin film on top of bacteria, not on top of each other, but just side by side, that's how many bacteria can a gram of inside a gram of biochar. So there's trillions and trillions and trillions. So these bacteria that live in the soil, they're there because some plant material's fallen down. So, okay, now there's some food for the earthworm. The earthworm will come up and eat it, and then he'll poo. And then the bacteria says, oh, now there's some food for me. And then he'll poo. And then if there's a plant in the area, it'll go, oh, now there's some food for me. Right. right? <laughs> and then it'll rain. And then all the bacteria, they'll all get washed away. And they'll start heading down towards the ocean at some point, you know. So they're kind of going to go away from the root area. But what do you do if you've got biochar? You put your biochar in your compost while you're making it, right? And so all the microbes in the compost, they're going to go into these little cavities because they want to live in the little cavities. Mm-hmm. It gives them a place for refuge and so on. And so when your compost is done, it's full of microbes. Your biochar is what they call inoculated. Mm-hmm. So it's like all the bacteria is now living inside your charcoal. Right. And then when you put that in the garden and it rains or when you water, the bacteria don't just wash away out of the soil. They kind of stay in there, all these cavities in their little apartment buildings so biochar is really good i mix that in with my compost and also i use crusher dusts in my compost because in the soil there's rocks and there's Mm -hmm. stones and there's little particles of sand and that that's where the minerals are sure right so if you're making a compost and you've only got plant material then there's no minerals in there yet so that's why i put crusher dust in my compost so it's got the mineral source as well and it also does something about the electricity or the paramagnetic energy of the soil, which don't ask me to explain that because I don't know <laughs> really about that. But my clever friends suggest I do stuff like that and try and explain it to me, but that'll be maybe some future episodes of The Weedy Garden. <laughs> something, though, about how the energy is moving in the soil, which is really yeah. remarkable to think about. And, you know, yeah. and speaking about looking at things under a microscope, I think that's, you know, one of the really amazing parts of your videos is that you have set up, would you call it a studio <laughs> for, you know, yeah. watching yeah. what's yeah. happening yeah. kind of in the soil and whatnot? Tell us a little bit about that. My little shed up there on the hill. <laughs> I did a recent episode, I think I called it a day in the life of the weedy garden or thriving in a survival garden, mm-hmm. it's called where I made a video where I just spend one day and film pretty much what I was doing in that one day. And at the moment, I'm actually living up in the garden. I've actually just finished this experiment, but for the last two months or so, I've been living up in the garden. I put my tub there. I've moved my cooking up there and my camera gear. I've moved up there. 
and my microscope and all that stuff that I'm working with to make my videos has been until yesterday up in the garden with me. But I've just finished that experiment. It was to try and see if I could, because going back to what I was saying before about what prompted me to make my garden, where I saw videos online about people in the toilet paper and everything, you know, a year and a half or so later, my garden is now like thriving and like over my head. Remarkably healthy, yes, and happy. It's really, really healthy. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I wonder if I actually could survive or if I could thrive from what I've actually got today. I've planted lots of avocado trees, mango trees, nuts and stuff. They won't be ready for a few years yet. Right. So I've got, you know, a lot of root fruit, a lot of vegetables, pumpkins, corn, every kind of vegetable you can think of, and a little bit of fruit. But I was just curious to see if I could, if the shops did close down or I couldn't get into town anymore, what would happen? How would I go? And should I do it for a week or should I do it for a month or should I do it for six months or how long should I do it for? So I thought I'd just do it for my own weight. So I thought I'll just, I'll just eat 95 kilos and see how I feel after that. So I've just finished doing that experiment and I won't give away what happened or what happened. <laughs> We're going to have to watch for the future. How it ended. <laughs> But that's why my microscope was up there because I was thinking I'm going to be in my garden all the time. I'm not going to be online. I'm not going to be watching any Netflix or anything like that. So I'm just going to have to entertain myself. So I took my microscope up there just to play with basically while I was up there. I use it mainly to help me illustrate my videos. I talk about the microbes a lot in my videos Mm -hmm. and I've only just recently got it. So I haven't had it for that long. It's very interesting and it's really, really amazing. It's like, it's hard to explain how your perception of the world changes when you start to see the microscopic part of it. You know, you take a drop of water, you look at it hundreds of times blowing up, and you can see that there's thousands and thousands of little animal life in there in this little drop of water, you know, and seeing the close-up of the inside of a plant and how the structure is, it's just artwork. It's really interesting. It really is. And it's such a good example of, you know, the things that are happening all around us all the time Mm. that, well, like you say, it's so hard to even find the words for. But when someone describes it to you, you can kind of picture it in your head. But to really actually be able to see what's happening in the soil, what's happening in the water, what's happening, you know, up close to the plant, really, it does change your perception of the entire world. Yeah, I haven't really got mastery over it yet, really. And the lenses, two of the objectives that I got, I actually destroyed them the first day I got it. Oh, so no. I can't go, oh, it's because you've got to have oil on the slide and you've got to have a little drop of oil when you go oh, super, yeah. super close. Mm-hmm. Because of the way the optic changes the light, you need to actually look through oil. And so I did this, but I forgot to dry the oil off afterwards. So the oil dried inside my lens so I can't it's like yeah oh no um, but it's okay because when I ordered the microscope it came with some extra specially good lenses but they weren't ready so I've kind of been using the standard lenses and actually just recently my new lenses have arrived so now I can go closer but my point was that if you get some samples from your different composts or get some soil samples you need to have a microscope that can go really 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 close to actually see the microorganisms you can see small nematodes and you can see mites and you can see small water creatures and stuff like that, but you can't see the lenses I've got on the phone until I've put the new ones on. I haven't been able to look at actual bacteria. So I'm really looking forward to getting that on so I can take some soil samples 
and say, okay, how much life is there underneath the plan? And what about this plan? Or this plan's looking a bit sick or something. What does it look like underneath there? I don't know. Maybe I'll learn something by doing that. Yeah. Apparently you do because the people that do it say, oh, you've got to do that. Start to learn <laughs> They're giving you suggestions. <laughs> Microscope is fun. So there's lots to learn about having a garden, but I think once you learn kind of that principle of how the soil is like, that's where they get their nutrients from. It's, it's, well, it's not just the soil. It's also the light. It's also light. And there's lots of things. Plants are very interesting. The more I look at them, the more I'm realizing they're just like other beings. They just move a lot slower. It's you so know? true. Seriously. They're just other beings, just like any other being, a different color, a different shape. They move a lot slower. They don't make a noise I can hear. They do definitely have a life and they do definitely have some sort of thing. Oh, you can't see it on, on an audio, but when you look at a time lapse of a plant growing, you can see how it dances, you know, yes. and you can see how it's looking like a bean. It'll grow and as it's growing, it'll dance around, dance around. It's looking for something to hang on to. Right. It'll go left, nothing there. It'll go left, right, nothing there. And by this time, it's grown about two centimetres longer. So it'll go right again and left again. And as it's doing that, it, it keeps growing and it's thinking, eventually I'm going to bump into something. And if it doesn't, it just sort of falls over and leans down until it does suddenly hits something and then, and then it grabs it, you know, and then it starts to swing around it. And, I mean, when you look at it, speed it up from a time-lapse film, it looks like a little creature. It looks like a little creature moving. It definitely does. And I think, you know, we don't always realize that, like you say, they, they're moving slower. Actually, it's one of the things that, you know, I talk about all the time about how much slower nature moves than us and that yeah. we're so accustomed yeah. to just walking fast, yeah. talking fast, doing everything fast that we just don't even notice what's happening right around us and that very subtle communication that is coming through. And I imagine living in the garden for two months, you probably we're able to pick up a lot more of that subtle communication. And I know you said on one of your videos that, you know, one of your intentions in kind of your experimentation was to really see if you can kind of connect with that sentience of yeah. plants. So, yeah. I mean, what you discovered? Yeah, well, I don't feel that I can sense the sentience of them. I kind of feel... The, the connection that I'm getting from just being up there all the time, when you could wake up with, go to bed with the sun, it is a bit hard to explain, actually. I've got to try and get some sort of explanation which might come close. So being up there in the garden, I've made my garden in the middle of nature. Nature has been there before me, although there was just a bit of grass when I was there. There was no trees and everything. So all the butterflies and all the animals and lizards and stuff, they're all hanging out there eating their stuff, like going hunting and looking for flowers and looking for pollen and looking for other insects to eat and so on. So I create my garden and then suddenly it's like, oh, this is a nice place for butterflies. They like the smell of my cabbage plants. So all the butterflies in the area are sort of like, hey, guys, this is, this, where, this is the place to be. And I come down and I see my cabbage plants or my broccoli covered in caterpillars. And my first impression of a human is like, Beep, 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 <laughs> beep, beep, caterpillars, beep, beep. Okay. <laughs> That's the first impression you get. I want to kill them. I want to get rid of them. They're attacking my food and so on. So what I did, it was a full moon and my mother's a bit like this. This is kind of kind of what my mother would do. So it's a full moon and I light a fire and I say, I'm going to have a little sort of a little gratitude fire and I'm going to have a chat with these butterflies. And so I say, hey, butterflies. And I don't have this energy in me that says, get out of here, butterflies, or I'll pull your wings off, you know. 
But right. don't come in here or I'll kill you. It was more like, g'day, guys. How's it going? Hey, so I'm new to the neighbourhood. You guys probably know this place better than I do. And you've been up here way before I got here. And, like, you guys look like you're cruising. Just want to say that I'm really grateful for you. Butterflies are beautiful. A lot of people love butterflies. I've seen a lot of people with butterfly tattoos and stuff. So you guys really loved. And I think you're beautiful. But I just want to let you know that I'm making this guy and I sweat a lot and, and it's hard work and it's kind of what I need to feed me. I'm not lucky like you. I can't just fly around and pick off whatever I want. I kind of got to produce it and make it. So just so you know, this is kind of where I got my stuff and the fence line is kind of from inside the fence. That's kind of where I got my stuff. So I'd really appreciate it if you didn't come and get mine. Just like if you just go on the other side of the fence like you were doing before. If you have to because... There's some animals in your way that you can't get to your food and you need to come in and that's okay. Or if you get blown off track and you kind of have to land and you're hungry and that's okay too. I'm not going to kill you, but I just want you to know and I hope you appreciate that and I respect you. hope you understand what I mean. Sorry to disturb you (laughs) and have a nice day. (laughs) And what I get from that opening up of my soul, right, I'm opening up of my openness. I'm being open now. I'm not demanding, I'm not expecting, I'm not trying to coerce or anything. I'm opening up to open. I'm open. That's all I'm doing. I'm being open and I'm sharing. And it's not like the butterflies go, oh, yeah, okay, bro. We respect that, bro. Have a nice day and I'll flutter by and say good day to you next time I'm in the neighborhood like that. It's not that how it works. But what it works is I start to think information starts to open up and my antennas start to receive information and I go, oh, and someone might say to me, I plant a lot of flowers around my cabbage and then they can't smell it because it confuses them and other people say, oh, I mix it all up and other people say, well, if you leave one over there and let them eat that and then you can have yours over here and say that to them and then they'll do that. So there's all these different ways to get around it, you know, all these different methods of stuff are not going to kill the butterfly. And so by doing that, I end up with a garden now where I don't have any problems with pests. And when I say any problems, I do not say that they don't come in and eat my stuff. I say that (laughs) they come in and they pick one and they attack it. Just like the butterflies, as sweet as they are and everything, they're exactly like the hyena or the tiger or the lion. When the lion's sitting there and he's going to go, okay, guys, let's go hunting. And they go, okay, Dad and Mum, we're off. Guys, we're going hunting. They go hunting. They're sitting down. They're saying, oh, look at that big strong one, Dad. Should we get that one? He says, no, mate. He says, you're going to lose all your energy doing that. We want the weak one. See that little one over there? He's going to be easy to catch and he's going to be a nice soft little meal for us. And he goes, okay. So nature is always looking for the weakest in the link. And that saves the predator energy and it maybe also helps the actual breeding cycle of the one that's getting preyed on because it sort of separates the weak from the strong so they keep strong and it's the same with the plant kingdom as i've discovered if you've got two plants and one of them's really really healthy it's got good soil got good water it's got good everything and you've got another plant that's not the same you can do an experiment actually i haven't done the experiment as such but i think that's how it works nature's going to attack them because all plants have these things called pheromones some trees in Africa, they can turn the juice in their plants in the leaves like sour. It takes about 20 minutes for them to do it. The animals start to eat them and they go, ah, 
and then they release this pheromone, and then suddenly 20 minutes after, the animal, like giraffes, going, oh, that doesn't taste any good anymore. Yeah, it's remarkable. So we'll go, so we'll go to the next tree. But the trees are so clever, and I don't know whether it's through the wind or whether it's through the mycelium underneath the ground or whether it's through the root systems or how it is, but the trees will communicate to each other. So right. the tree that's getting eaten, he will release the pheromone, but he'll say to all the other trees, hey, release your pheromone. There's a predator. So all the other ones will do it as well. But there's some way that the giraffe has figured this out. So that's why he goes like downwind or starts downhill or he does it in such a way because the plants can't send the message upwind or, oh, like, or yeah. something. So the giraffe in They've goes, co-evolved together in this way. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe the giraffe bites it for five or ten minutes before it starts to trigger the reaction and then it goes to the next one or something like that. But, yeah. But so it doesn't too heavily do. browse one tree. Plants have got these pheromones. So when the animals come and attack it, if it's a strong plant, it'll say, you know, get away. It's got its defense mechanism. But if it's a weak plant, it doesn't have a strong defense mechanism. So the insects will attack it. And so in a garden, a lot of the time, you'll see one plant that's getting attacked by aphids, but the other plants are not. And it's usually because they choose the weak one. And once it starts getting attacked, then it gets even weaker and then it's kind of gone. So the worst thing to do in a garden would be to take that plant and take it away or do something. Then the aphids are just going to go to the next one. You know what I mean? It's so true. And the good thing is not to plant all your things together because if the caterpillars land on one and they're just going to work their way to the end of the row, you know what I mean? And yep. so you want to plant your plants all over the place. So my garden looks like I've got a handful of seeds and I'm shaking them up in my hand, like all different sorts of seeds, and then I threw them up in the air and they all landed in my garden. So I've got lemongrass here and, oh, there's some spinach there and I've got, oh, there's some squash there. I've got, well, to a certain degree, you know. Sure. When I plant my corn, I've got my corn planted in a circle because that's how it helps get pollinated and plant my pumpkins so they're growing over my trellises and stuff. But my garden beds, I've got strawberries and I've got lemongrass and spinach and beans and basil and flowers growing all in the same square meter. Which is, you know, to your point about how a forest grows, it's how you would find plants growing in just a natural ecosystem anyway. They wouldn't all be lined up in a row anywhere. Exactly. Exactly. And that helps coming back to the caterpillars and this communication and opening up with the butterflies and trying to sort of open up to not controlling, but to opening up to learning. This information comes through. And so now I've got my garden and the butterflies are basically flying around trying to figure out where the smell's coming from, but they get confused because there's garlic and there's onion and there's flowers and stuff in between the broccoli. So they just go somewhere else. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I mean, I love that story about how that communication worked because as humans, we lean on our language so much. And, yeah. you know, perfect example, even that you were struggling to find the right words of, you know, yeah. how do I describe this experience and this connection? Yeah. Because it really is much more of a feeling and a sense and this telepathic communication. And, kind of, yeah. you know, as kind you're of. saying, some of it is just coming in as ideas. And so we don't yeah. always assign that as some type of special, you know, communication, but it really is. It's a piece of, oh, here's an answer to the question you've been asking that's going to help point you in the right direction. And I just love how all those pieces come together. A lot of it is observation as well. Because if you're walking past something or if you're walking through your life, wherever you are, and you're not really observing because you've got maybe a point of view or you've got like a plan or you've got a desired kind of outcome, if you've got something that's kind of not giving you that opportunity to actually observe 
and especially in nature because nature is the boss. If you're going to ever think that you're going to be the boss, then forget about that. You know, stop gardening. You're on the wrong path already, you know. It's nature that does the job and the more you observe how nature works, the more rewarding it will be for you. And in that sense, I mean, yeah, being up in the garden, and this is what comes with experience, you know. I've only been a gardener for a year, year and a half. And a lot of people like look at my channel and go, oh, garden guru, and uh, what about this, David, and what about this weedy, and how do you do this weedy, and when do you plant this weedy? It's like, guys, stop asking me all these gardening questions. <laughs> I'm a photographer <laughs> with a bit of a garden, you know. It looks good and everything. But Another thing that was interesting about this connection, you know, is being open and being observant and having observation. I have my garden and everything's great. And then the bush turkey, we have a bird here called the bush turkey or the scrub turkey. It kind of looks like a turkey. It's like a small turkey. And it just like scratches and digs like a chicken does, you know. It was coming into my garden. It was just digging up my sweet potatoes all the time. And again, here I am going, oh, yeah, turkey, turkey, turkey. I'm going to let turkey and that turkey, watch out, turkey. And saying, hang on a second. No, don't do that. So change perspective again. Do the weedy thing. So, okay, hey, turkey. How's it going, mate? And so on. And it's not like the turkey then talks back to me. It's not like that at all. I'm not crazy. And if people say animals talk to them, they're not crazy either because it's not like a horse will say something to you, but you feel there's some communication, there's something happening, whether it's they send their message up to the ether somehow and it gets translated then comes back to you so you can understand it as a human. I have no idea. And it doesn't really matter. But the most important thing is, I think, being open and being gentle. You know, because as soon as you start saying, I'm going to kill the bush turkey because he's eating my sweet potatoes, you're already losing the battle because there's always going to be another bush turkey. What I did was I kind of listened. So, well, what's the bush turkey doing? And I'd see him sometimes come into my compost. Usually I make my compost where I cover it over to keep the bush turkey out. So then I think, okay, hang on a second. So instead I move my compost over closer to where the bush turkey comes into the garden and I take the cover off. So now my bush turkey turns my compost for me. And it doesn't, it doesn't come to my sweet potatoes because he finds enough of worms and stuff in my compost to keep Absolutely. him happy. And he turns the compost every day, so I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I have a big kind of meadowy type area out in front of my house and the turkeys come in in the summer, in the late summer, and it's full of grasshoppers. And, you know, grasshoppers are usually the bane of the gardener's existence <laughs> but yeah, yeah. those turkeys come in and they just spend hours out there working on the grasshoppers so i just leave everything alone <laughs> they work exactly. it out amongst themselves <laughs> there's a wonderful film that i saw recently it's called the biggest little farm have you heard of that film i have yeah i've seen it it's been maybe a year or so but yeah okay it's the I one with the ducks right they let the ducks out yeah <laughs> Anyone listening to this podcast and are interested, you know, this whole concept of living in the city, you know, and getting out of the rat race, I think there's like lots and lots of people that have this in their mind, in their hearts at the moment, mm -hmm. but kind of feel like they don't know how to do it, right? I think that's really true. I think there's a lot of people out there. I see that in my comments on my channel. It's like, oh, I wish I could live like that and I'd give anything to do that and stuff. This movie is like another one of those movies for those people. It was Agreed. basically about a couple that came out of the city and wanted to live in the country and, and build up this permaculture and what they went through. And it's kind of the same story. After the seven years, everything found its balance, you know, and they, like me and the bush turkey, they found out how 
the natural system can look after itself. I, I'm not going to explain what the movie is about anything, but it's a good movie. It's called The Biggest Little Farm. It's a nice one to watch. And I think in a good example of, uh, you know, that as much as we want to wave our magic wand and have it happen overnight, it does take some time and nature will figure it out and it will find that balance. But if I remember, they had a lot of phases that they went through before, like you say, that kind of seven year mark where things found the balance that they had been looking for. Before we wrap up from your year and a half, two year, not even two year experiment that I would guess is really much more of your lifestyle now. I mean, you know, what do you have to share or what would you say was kind of some of the big picture things that you've learned from this that you can share with those who are looking to make some changes? Yeah, that's a good question. You don't need to own your own land, okay? I rent a house here in the country on a property that's about 45 acres and the owners, they don't use the land. There's some cattle going. The neighbour has the cattle going on the property. And I said to them, hey, you guys, do you mind if I make a vegetable garden up on the hill? And they said, no, go for it, David. Do what you like. I went, oh, thank you. So the weedy garden is made on someone else's property that I'm not renting. I'm renting the house, but I'm not paying to rent the land. I said to them, if I make a garden and you can help yourself to whatever we make, is that okay? That's okay. So tell you what, guys out there, anyone living in the suburbs, okay, this is difficult to do if you're living in the city, in a high-rise building, okay? So forget about that. You've got to kind of move out of the city, guys. But if you're living in the suburbs, that's still fine. I reckon if you jump on your bike and take a little trip around the neighbourhood and ask all the people that have yards, like a front yard or a backyard where it's just a grass, and you can see they're not using it. Someone has to mow the lawn every day. If you go out and say, I want to make a vegetable garden in your backyard, if I do that, then we can share the produce. Are you happy with that? You don't have to do anything. I'll look after it. I'll bet you they'll say, yeah, do that. If you do that on three or four different people in your street, then you've got your huge vegetable garden. You know, That's one way to do it. If you really want to do it, then you don't have to go and buy land. You can rent it. You can share it. You can buy a property with some friends. You know? Start your own little community up and buy a property and divide it up. There's lots of ways to do it, but I think the first thing is to have the dream. That's the step one. Once you've got the step one, which is the dream, the next step is the step two, which is the action. And that is not just to keep saying, I wish, I wish, or I wish, I wish, but I can't, or whatever. Step two is to take the action. And once you've got you know, the dream and the action, everything kind of falls into place because once you have decided that's what you want, the path kind of opens up for you. I don't know if that makes sense, but there's so much stuff on YouTube that you can learn. There's so many places to learn about it, you know. So once you open yourself up to the desire or the intention to learn or to do, then it just opens up. I think the problem most people have is they say, oh, I can't, it's too hard, and they close the door. They never go through the door. But if you open the door and say, that's me, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, You start by telling your friends you're going to do it. Start by asking your neighbor if you can dig up a little patch of his backyard and plant some tomatoes. Just start small and that'll kind of lead you down the track. That'll start you down the carrot hole. Because the information's out there. I knew pretty much nothing about it before I started. I was an open person. I was already a sensitive person, you know. I already did know that nature is what we are. We're not apart from that. We are that. That's what humans are making a big mistake at the moment. 
especially with this metaverse and everything that's going on. It's like, guys, you guys are just taking more and more steps away from your natural way of being. And it's not just because it's a natural way of being. It's a healthy and happy and more balanced and more fruitful and more everything way of being. It's so unfortunate that people don't even know what that is, you know. That's a shame. That's why the Weedy Garden channel is what it is because I want to kind of show people that it's easy. I want to inspire people to make that change because I think it's also not only important for yourself, not only important for your health, but it's not only your physical health, your mental health changes too, but not only for your mental and your physical health, but also for the health of the planet. Because I was just eating dinner last night with my wife and her son who's visiting and we're looking at the plate and every single thing on the plate came from the garden, every single thing. It was, okay, with olive oil that we cooked in or the coconut oil that we cooked in, that was from the bottle, from the shop, but everything else. And I looked at it and I thought, I wonder if all this stuff that we're eating today was actually bought from the shop. We went through and tried to calculate how many people were involved. And it was like over a 1,000 people involved just with the food that we were eating on our plate. If you think about the salad that we're eating, in the salad was a tomato, okay? So think about that. So that tomato started off as a seed. So that seed started off in a tomato seed packet. So that tomato seed packet had to be produced somewhere in a factory that had to make you know, tomato seed packets. So even before the seed is planted, it's already used some resources to actually get there. Right. And then it's put in the ground. And there's probably a tractor involved with that process if it's in a big supermarket because it's probably in big industrial farming. And that tractor has mechanical parts and metal and tires and fuel and oil. All those things have to be produced. And that's just one of the tomatoes in the salad. I know it's a small portion of that tomato that it's still, when you look at all the different things, the avocados, the rice, everything, it's like there's so much that you can save the planet on all these things just by growing in your own backyard. You don't realize how big an impact it has actually, but it has a huge impact. It's a bit frustrating. I reckon that more people just don't grow food in their backyard or on their terrace because it's so easy and it's so good and tastes great. You should do a taste test like a supermarket fruit or a homegrown, home-ripened, on-the-plant fruit. It's a big difference. They can't compare. They just don't. I know. My favorite vegetable is a radish. And you oh, yeah. cannot, in any grocery store, find a radish that makes your eyes water <laughs> like a radish that yeah, right. you grow in your backyard. They're just, there's no yeah. comparison. And yes. I'm inspired, and I'm sure a lot of other people are as well. That's, you know, why there's hundreds of thousands of people watching your videos and following your channel to see like, here's somebody that didn't know a lot about gardening and has a rented piece of land and in a year and a half has been able to create this and eat from the garden. You know, it gives me hope and inspiration that hopefully some percentage of those people are seeing that and thinking if he can do it, I can do it too. I'm going to figure that out. So thank you for being such an inspiration. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say that. But I, I'm just reading the comments and the emails and the messages I'm getting, there is a lot of people that actually have made the change since they started seeing the Weedy Garden channel. There's people it. writing to me almost every day that tell me. So that's a good thing. And I'm pretty blessed. I mean, having a garden that size, I won't say it's a full-time job because it's not. I mean, seriously, once it's set up, Jeff Lawton, my permaculture teacher, yes. he reckons that once it's set up, you should only need to use an hour a day in the garden, but that's not true. I think it's a lot, I think it's a lot more. But, but it's an enjoyable um, hour or two or three. <laughs> yeah. But 
but I use a lot more time in my garden. And also, well, because I've got the YouTube channel, right, my garden wouldn't look like that if I was just doing it for myself. I mean, the YouTube channel is a place for me to, it's like oh, I've got this sort of a creative outlet. And because I'm a photographer and because I can't work anymore, it's like, okay, I've got to kind of make this my life because that's all I got, seriously. Right. So the weedy garden is like I'm using a lot of time in it. It's beautiful. I planned it seriously. Every time I make a project, I'm so lucky that so many of the local people here are experts, you know? Yeah. Like the worm farm guy, he's just down the road. Yeah. And when I say just down the road in Australia, it's 45 minutes drive. It's <laughs> just down the road, <laughs> yeah. you know? And just learning about how a forest thinks and my mate Ben, who knows all about the bacteria and the ancient Americans and Terra Preta and all that. And so doing the garden and having the YouTube channel has given me the ability to then call on these people and say, hey, I'm doing a video about worm farms. I'd really love to know what a worm farm is because I don't know. So if you tell me, I'll tell everybody else. And they go, sure thing, man, you know. So then I learn how to do a worm farm from an expert in my garden. So I've got this nice worm farm and it's thriving, you know. So is everything else because I've kind of listened to what the expert said and did it and show it. There's a few things that are interesting. <laughs> there was one message I got this morning and the first video I did was about the soil bacteria that I was telling you about in the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. when I first discovered that plants live from bacteria fart. Right. Right. And in that video, I sort of explained that, yeah, I make this bacteria juice and when I water it on the plants, love it. And it's just like new beauty. But I didn't realize at that point that there's a fungi, there's fungi and there's bacteria. Sure. And there's like the two different things going on. It's like the male and the female, if you like, you can't have like too much of the one and not enough of the other because then it's like a, being in a dance and there's only females at the dance. There's no guys, so it's a bit boring. So you kind of need this balance. But I think trees and the forests and stuff, they like more fungi, whereas the vegetable garden, it likes more bacteria. Right? Sure. And so I understood about this for my vegetable garden and thinking, oh, great, the soil loves it, the plants love it. And through the comments, people are making me aware, of course, that that's not the case with forests and stuff. And what about the trees and stuff? Oh, yeah. So I'm learning as I'm going through the comments. And so a year and a half later, I get this message this morning. Oh, Weedy, I love your channel and everything. And I live in Canada and I next to a big Douglas forest. And I'm going to make a big batch of bacteria juice. And I'm going to go and water it in the forest and give forests my love, you know. <laughs> and I say, don't do that because you'll make them all sick. Because the forest likes fungi, not the bacteria. <laughs> well, we're so all like, learning oh, no. bit by bit. What have I done? Well, and it's such a good example that, you know, we have access to people all around the world that, you know, we never used to through these mediums. You know, that is one of the benefits of technology. But as you say, we have so many experts right in our own backyard that, you know, we really can go looking around our communities and find out who the experts are in our local ecosystem that can help us with our Douglas Forest as opposed to... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. The tropical the uh, uh, That's where you'll get the best advice, and that's from the local gardeners. Yeah. That's where you'll get the best advice. Yeah. Because they, they're from your area. Yeah, they yeah. know. They know the climate yeah. and the plants. So Yeah, I don't think about that a lot on my channel because I'm sitting there saying, yeah, and uh, in the wintertime and you got to put your trees here because you don't want them here because you don't get the sun and it's like north and south is upside down to you guys. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> they were saying, if I did that, my trees would die. It's like, right. oh, hang on a second. You're in the other hemisphere. So, yeah, okay. Remember to turn everything upside just, down. Just do everything opposite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, good. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, let everybody know where they can find you at on YouTube and online and where they can connect with you. Yeah, well, it's easy to remember called the Weedy Garden. It's not the Weedy Gardener. It's the Weedy Garden. The Weedy Garden and, um, on YouTube. My webpage is theweedygarden.com. And I've got Facebook and Instagram as well, but it's really my YouTube channel where I do my stuff. You know, the, the Instagram and the Facebook is really just to sort of say, oh, I've made a new video or, oh, there's a picture of something, something interesting. No, the Weedy Garden YouTube channel is where I'm putting all my energy. My next episode is on the Flow Hive, which is a type of beehive which is a lot of people apparently haven't amazing, seen that. Amazing, amazing. Go uh, check it out and check out his videos yeah. if, if you So I'll, I'll um, show that one on the next episode. Then I'm actually focusing on my movie. So there'll be a Weedy Garden movie coming out this year. Very yeah. exciting. And that's what I'm excited about. So keep your eyes on that, everybody. Yes, yes. Well, we'll all be waiting and following and keeping up with all yeah. of your adventures. And again, thank and, you so um, much for being here on the podcast and also just, you know, making these videos and sharing your little corner of planet earth with the rest of us. You're welcome. You're welcome. I never say on my videos, please like, and subscribe. If you've noticed, I've never said that. And I I don't want to say that, but now I'm on a podcast. I can say, if anyone goes to the weedy garden, make sure you subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) It's the YouTube thing. You got to like, you got to subscribe. You got to turn the little bell on. So you get notified all the things. And that's because of the YouTube algorithm. Seriously. It really is. I only learned that recently. I thought if I subscribed, of course, when there was a new video, they would show it to me on YouTube. No, not true. So yeah, definitely got to hit the bell button if you want, if you want to know when new videos. Most people don't know that actually. um, Okay. Well, it was lovely talking with you, Amy. Yes. um, Thank you so much for for being here. Yeah. Wonderful. And enjoy the rest of your summer. Thank you. No, I was going to say enjoy the rest of your winter, but yeah. enjoy spring when it comes. I'm getting ready to start planting, yes. Good stuff. All okay. right. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. See you later. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Earth Keepers podcast. I'm so honored to share this journey with you. I would love it if you join me and other Earthkeepers from around the world in the Following Hawks Earthkeepers community on Facebook. To find the show notes, additional resources, or learn more about working with me, go to earthkeeperspodcast.com. Until next time, I'll see you in the multiverse.